expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome to episode 143 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where yes, Santa Claus has come to town, but Nick, he's kind of left us with some heavy hearts. Yeah, of course, this week, Carrie Fisher passed away, of course, and you know, it's just one of those things where you thought we were going to be out of the woods. You thought, you know, she, she had a heart attack, uh, I believe she was flying from England to, to Los Angeles, and she... It was like a few days later, they thought she was in stable condition. Her mother, Debbie Reynolds, who also passed away this week, said, oh, she's in stable condition. So you thought she was, you know, clear and then clear. And, you know, I got the text from, from James the day that Carrie passed, about in the afternoon, I was actually driving and I pulled over and I saw she passed away. And it's just one of those things, man, where it's a heavy, heavy thing. Of course, we're going to get more to that later on in the show but it's just it's just one of those things where come off of a holiday not just that but it being you know, we had our best of show last week but our first show back we're discussing this you know yeah and we're gonna do something we don't normally do we're gonna kind of deviate from our normal format a little bit and we know you love our interviews and stuff like that but just like when Nen- leonard nimoy passed away we felt like this week we just needed to pay our respects and just talk about the life of Carrie Fisher a little bit and why she was special to us and nerd culture in general. I mean, it might seem obvious, but we're going to talk about it. And maybe you're going to hear some stuff that you, maybe you didn't think of. You're like, oh, I didn't think about that aspect before. So we're going to discuss that. But, I mean, we're still going to do some normals. We're still going to review some comics. We're going to review some comics. We're also going to review Rogue One as well. And, and again, as James mentioned, you know, after that we're going to deviate because the thing is you know we do nerd news after geek tainment but i mean this news is just it's too big this is is the news yeah it is the news it is the news and there's nothing that can top this news this week and and i think for at least a while but it's just it's just one of those things where you know it happened and when you lose an iconic figure for a variety of reasons which we're going to get to later you know we had to change things up we had to change things up but coming up next, we're going to dive into two new comics this week. What we're reading is coming up next in the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Zach Kaplan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. And James, Marvel has its Marvel Now initiative going on. And, you know, I'll say this. Venom, that I wrote a review for a while back, it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good, but for a lot of the other Marvel stuff, it has been very much hit and miss and mostly miss so far. And, you know, they have another number one that came out this week, and it is Hulk number one. Now, it's written by Mariko Tamaki. The art is done by Nico Leon, and colors are done by Matt Milla, and letters done by VCs Corey Pettit. And this follows Jennifer Walters, of course. People know her as She-Hulk and... After what happened in Civil War II, she's no no longer going by that moniker. She is just going by Hulk. And this series centers around what happens to her and really her family during Civil War II. Now, spoilers, if you haven't read Civil War II, I'm going to preface this by saying I didn't read Civil War II. I just know the highlights, the cliff notes, if you will, of what happened in it. And pretty much 
she has a battle with Thanos that leaves her pretty much in a coma and badly, badly beaten. And when she wakes up, she finds out that her cousin, Bruce Banner, has been killed by Hawkeye. And so this first issue in the series really is dealing with her dealing with that grief and that sense of loss. And really when you get this first issue, there's not a whole lot of action in here. It's really, really a lot of dialogue and and exposition really. And it's just her dealing with life after Bruce's death and her trying to, you know, not break out into Hulk. Right. And throughout this first issue, you meet a character who is a client of hers, a new client of hers, and she, you know, she's working on a case all the meanwhile trying to deal with, you know, avoiding uh, triggers and stuff like that, things that will trigger her. And, you know, she talks about how we're living in New York now and, and, you know, in a place where people don't really give a crap about your crap. And, you know, so it's like that's less for me to be triggered on and you're dealing with this whole sense of grieving. So there's not really a whole lot that will grab you in this first issue because I think even if you haven't read and even if you have read the first Civil War uh, or Civil War II, I should say, <sighs> It's just you're dealing with that sense of grieving, but you're just like, okay, this is a series that's going to have to pick up soon. Yeah. And and you see hints of her hulking out, and then she controls it by a certain way. I'm not going to spoil it. But it's just one of those things where it really – to put it in a certain way, it has a very Jessica Jones feel. Like when you watch the Netflix show. Interesting. Like when she's dealing, when Jessica's dealing with Kilgrave, tries to suppress all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what Jennifer is doing in the series. It seems like that's interesting because uh, Tamaki also had the Supergirl being super uh, limited series that came out from DC this week that she that she wrote. And I got to tell you, man, that was really awesome. And there was a lot of it was very dialogue heavy, and it was also a you know like Kara's dealing with you know being kind of alone in the world sort of thing. So it's not completely similar to this but it's very much in that vein where there was a lot of there was very much not much action and it was a very heavy issue yeah again this whole issue is first issue is jennifer dealing with avoiding people and again trying to you know if somebody says the wrong word even if it's just in a sentence like they don't say anything bad but if it's like agitate or whatever like that she'll be like she'll focus on that word and it'll cause her to hulk out and she has to like use certain resources to not do that. And so it's just, it's really a new start. It's one of those things, you know, civil war two happened and now it's, well, what happens now is, and where does she go with this new start? If you haven't read civil war two, like I haven't read it, there is a good couple of, of paragraphs in the credit page where it just highlights, you know, like this is what happened to her and this is where she's, oh, you know, book is taking off of. So you don't feel lost, you know, which is a good thing. The art on this, it doesn't blow you away, but I think that for what it's trying to do, I think it fits. And there are panels where you see her kind of hulking out a little bit and they're really well done. But again, this isn't one that's like really heavy in the detail. It's it's nice, but it's not like uh, – you're not going to be blown away by it. I get but what you're saying, yeah. But but for what the story, the type of story it's t- kind of telling, 
it really does go well with it. There is some nice symbolism in here that ties her and Bruce together. For example, most of the issue she's wearing a green jacket and and some a green dress so that kind of you know of course ties into some symbolism she's wearing a purple scarf so there was nice hints of symbolism within the art towards her late cousin and it's i think it's it's nice again but this is also a comic where i see what what they're trying to do with this but this is also something where okay there has to be some sort of thing that happens that really sets her off and that really gets this the action side going it really builds it going because really the the, th- the lull that this can fall into is you're just watching a soap opera play out you just want a catalyst that's all right. you really want is a catalyst and then i think that you'd be you'd be more up for it and i think that catalyst and it doesn't have to be like a big bad make the catalyst if the catalyst is the public if it's like I can't hear certain words because, you know, I don't need a safe space, but because, you know, I can't hear this because it's going to trigger right. this, my cousin dying, you right, know, it's going right. to trigger, you know, this, this pain in me. It's going to cause me to possibly rage out and do things that are beyond my control. So I think that that's what they're possibly aiming for. I'm going to give this a pickup. Uh, I'll give us a, a few issues to see where it's going, but I mean, it's one of those things where it's one of those series where I see where it's going, but this is one of those things where it, the, its main issue is that it can drag yeah, and, yeah. and you can fall into, oh my God, there's, you know, she's hearing things and it's causing her to hulk out. She doesn't hulk out. And it's like, well, what's going to happen if she does? And if, when she does, and what's going to be that driving force? And, you know, is there going to be somebody to, you know, like Patsy Walker is mentioned in this book as well you know is she gonna be like a balancing force you know there has to be a certain tightrope and that she has to walk i'm talking about hulk here and it has to be interesting along the way i mean that makes sense to me makes sense to me so what'd you do bud so i decided to go back to the divinity that valiant's presenting right now it's called actually if you didn't read divinity three stalin verse number one first of all read that not just because it'll help you with this comic that I'm reviewing this week, but because it's pretty awesome. So I decided to do one of the tie-ins to that series, if you want to call it that. It's Commander Bloodshot, number one of Divinity 3. Now, if you don't know what Divinity 3 is, spoiler alert if you haven't read Divinity 3, because I'm going to give you just a quick little synopsis. Basically, the Soviet Union rules the world. They rule the entire world. And it's... there's a nice little timeline, actually, not just in the... Uh, first Stalinverse issue, but in this one as well, of, okay, here's what happened between 1922 and present day, which I think is phenomenal, and it's very quickly done, too. Exactly. If you want, I've read Divinity 3. I haven't read this comic that you're reviewing yet. It's in my folder, so I will read it later. But Divinity 3 is pretty much, if you know the TV show Man in the High Castle, it's like that, except Russia rules everything, as James mentioned. It's like that to the nth degree. Oh my. Pretty much. Which is where things stand right now. But that's kind of where the spoilers for Div- Divinity 3 end, and I'm going to try not to spoil too much of this either. But of course, it's written by the great Jeff Lemire, artist Clayton Crane, letterer is David Sharp, and man, just can I just talk about the art first? Because the art in this is friggin' phenomenal i mean every little detail i mean even the 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 swept smoke of the area that he's in which is very snowy and just the profile shot that they have of of commander bloodshot right at the beginning of the book 
I mean, you just see this guy and you go, oh my God, if I ever saw him, I'd probably just pee my pants immediately. Because that, I mean, Bloodshot, you know from other issues that we've wrote of Bloodshot, he's pretty formidable anyway. You see this dude coming at you? Forget it. They even he, call him several times in this issue a monster because he is. Oh, if you see what he looks like in this series, he looks, this is there's something that when I first saw him in Divinity 3, I'm like, this is God of War 4 Kratos, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, and I'll tell you right now that this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but the, the issue basically centers around the the um, western part of the United States is kind of like they are the rebel group. And Commander Bloodshot is being sent in to kind of deal with them, eliminate them. And as Admiral Akbar would say, it's a trap. Because they're trying to trap him and trying to take him out. And, you know, I can't really say too much more without spoiling. But let's just say there are two different ways that they try to eliminate Commander Bloodshot. Now, you kind of have to know a little bit about Bloodshot and the history of the character, especially the recent runs that Lemire's had over the last year and here in 2016, to know why there's a specific character in this book that you're going to go, oh my god, what is he going to do about this if you know the history of the character? And then he does something. I know I'm being vague here, but I don't really have much of a choice without spoiling anything. He does something in this issue that's going to make you go, wow, not only did I not expect that, what in the hell is he going to do from here? Because it's very, very interesting given the circumstances of what they laid out in Stalinverse number one. Yeah, and I think that, again, you know, Bloodshot is one of those valiant characters. I mean, he's literally one of the, the main valiant characters. And you do have to do some, some, not research, but yeah, you do have to read some of his past runs to really see that who he is in the Stalinverse compared to his regular runs is totally different. Like, I think in the Stalinverse, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he seems really much more like a monster in this one than in his other runs. But what's cool about this is, you know how Flashpoint on Flash, they've been getting flashes of stuff, for lack of a better term, like, you remember what happened on the other pre-Flashpoint right. universe, that happens in this issue, too. So the other, quote-unquote, universe is still there. Everything is still fresh. It still exists. So it's not like it's being overwritten. It still exists. And that plays a huge role in this issue. And I'm thinking future issues as well. And i got to say, the action sequences in here are unbelievable. There's even a little tail-end story here by... It's called The Origin of the Red Legend, which is going to be, think, Eternal Warrior, but female mm-hmm. kind of thing. But there's something else special about her, so there's a little bit of end story on that as well. And she's going to factor in to this story, too. I got to tell you, man, usually tie-ins, you know this as well as I do. You know, you read them, you go, huh, that was nice. You toss it to the side, and you probably never read it again. I'm interested in this run just by itself. Even if it wasn't a tie-in, I'm reading this. Because it is phenomenal. And what they what Lemire's laid out here to go forward just in this story alone, even outside of the Stalinverse, is pretty great. And the art, man, I'm telling you right now, some of the best art that I've seen in all of 2016. It's phenomenal. 
I think, and I want to hear your opinion on this. What Valiant is doing with the whole Stalin versus thing, you mentioned, you know, Flashpoint, and the, you know, we know what happened in the, alter, in the other reality and the other Earths and stuff like that. I think that this, by pretty much turning the Valiant universe on its head in this way, by connecting it with non-Flashpoint stuff, whereas, like, you know, Flashpoint has, like, certain characters came out. When you tie to something like the Red Scare, like something that was real, that makes it ten times more interesting. Yeah, and, and it even you see where the timeline changes, too, because obviously this is a fictional timeline. And you see where it changes, and you go, huh, so if it turned out that way, right. this could have happened. And there's stuff like, spoiler alert, World War II doesn't happen. Right. At all, okay? So that's part of it. But And then you, th- and then you see the chain reaction of events that goes on after that and you go wow so if if this had turned out differently look at what might have happened and these are real world leaders stalin versus exactly how it sounds joseph stalin was involved in this timeline vladimir putin involved in this timeline so it's a very very interesting story and it's a it's almost like a what if but it's a scary what if kind of thing yeah it's it's a very very cool story and i i liked the last divinity book this one, very, very different, and to deviate from the sci-fi space aspect that they had going, which was really good, was a risk by them, but a risk that they took and made work big time. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do with the other Valiant characters that are in Divinity 3 with their series as well. It's going to be really, really interesting. Oh, so I yeah, take it they're involved. Yeah, so I take it this is a pull for you then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to, to, end, the year, to end the year of 2016 with a book like this and knowing that we have this to look forward to in 2017. Yeah, I'm excited. And that's going to do it for what we're reading. But come next, we're going to review, spoiler-filled, of course, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That's coming up next. This is Steven Wacker with Marvel Animation, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, we know that you've been waiting for it and you've seen it, so here we go. Our spoiler-filled, I cannot stress that enough, Spoiler-filled review <laughs> of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. You have been warned, people, because there's a lot to spoil here. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. A movie of this magnitude, you know, even though it was, if you want to call it a prequel, if you want to call it a spinoff, I consider it more of a prequel because it ties, literally ties, to the beginning of A New Hope. Uh, like... Guys, it's been out for a couple of weeks. If you haven't seen it by now, it's your own goddamn fault. Yeah, but you know, we have to do this, apparently. This is this is just what we have to do. We have to make sure people know that these are spoiler-filled. Now, everybody remembers our 47-minute tirade where <laughs> Force Awakens, blood was shed, voices were cracked, and I don't think we're going to have that problem again. I don't think we are either, because I really... And, and people were right about this. Not the fact that, oh, this is on Empire level, because I don't think it was, even though it was really good. For all of us, myself included, who had a bad taste in our galactic mouse from Episode 7, The Force Awakens, this is exactly the movie I, th- I really do think the Star Wars franchise needed to truly rebound from that, to truly, I think, grab viewers like me who are like, well, Episode 7 is just a remake of New Hope. We need something different. And especially somebody like myself, where when Rogue One was announced, it's like, it's another Death Star movie, and I'm like, oh, Yeah, you God. were so upset about that, dude. <laughs> well, because well, well, here's the thing, though, dude. You have this Star Wars universe, right? And we talked about how Disney wants to move away from the Skywalker saga. 
But even there's this huge universe, this huge galaxy out there. But yet they've always been focused on for these past thirty plus years, forty plus years, on this small sandbox, really. I understand. And so, yeah. And so part of me is just like, there's more out there. Expand on that. Do that. You know, show us characters we've never seen before. And I mean, let's just get right to it because one thing I loved about this film, and I think this was also really important is that this was not your typical Star Wars film. This didn't have all the Muppets in it or all the puppets and everything else like that. You know, this didn't have, this, and this didn't have a really light heart to it. This was literally, I think, the most darkest Star Wars film oh, no question that's ever been it. made. And what I loved about it was that it wasn't shot like a regular Star Wars movie. It was shot and scripted like a war film. We saw the trench warfare. And the fact is, you know, hey, this doesn't end happily. I knew it was gonna I knew it was gonna end the way it did, but even when you see it on screen, you're just like, Oh damn. Well, and oh. it's not only that, the way they spaced out the deaths. Where they right. kept hitting you and hitting you and hitting you, and then you have that deep impact moment towards the end with uh, with Cassius and Jin there, where they're just kind of sitting there waiting to get overcome by what's happened. But before we move further, I want to touch on something that you said about how it was scripted differently. First of all, bravo to Chris White's Tony Gilroy, John John Knoll, Gary Whitta, who did the story and screenplay for this, because you guys were given a pretty tough task. And I think you accomplished a big, big victory. And my apologies to Gareth, Gareth Edwards, too, while we're at it. Because I think that I know I especially was like, man, he just doesn't seem like the right guy for the job. And, you know, look what happened with Godzilla and some other stuff that he did. Bravo to you guys. Because, you know, the behind-the-scenes guys aren't getting enough credit for this one, I don't think. Yeah, I think that, you know, you look at what happened here. And you look at what they're doing. And yes, it is the whole Death Star thing again. But they somehow, I think, found a way to really make it feel fresh. And I think that the way that they did that was you told it from a certain variety of points of view. Like, yes, you saw, you know, Jin Erso mostly, but you also saw it through. Characters who were part of the rebellion, part of this war, since they were kids, like Diego Luna's character, Cassian Andor, there was that scene where, you know, he's like, I have been fighting this thing since I was six years yeah, old. Yeah, that's crazy. And the thing is, you have to realize that out of a couple of characters, none of these people are really, especially Jin and Cassian, are really good people. Like I and when you really think of what they do and the whole reason why they work and help the rebellion, it's really if you think about it, a Suicide Squad esque feeling. Right, and like, not only that, Cassian had to earn his good person moniker. He wasn't the best of people in the beginning of this movie. And not only that, one thing I think that they did brilliantly was that in a way they also vilified the rebellion. Yes. Which I thought well, was a very interesting way to go. Well, not just that, but they made the rebellion look very, uh, like hope was lost. You yeah, know what I mean? very much so. It, and the, and the desperation that comes with that. Yes. And that's the thing, you know, say what you will about the prequels. I'm not a fan of them. But this movie shows a time where hope is being lost and we don't know if we can win. You know, there's, part, there's a moment where they're like, we give up. 
You know, like, like we can't win. Yeah, they literally did give up in the movie. They actually yeah. gave up and said, let's surrender. <laughs> right, but this really, I think you put it in, I got to say, as Felicity Jones did a great job as Jen Erso. Oh, I think yeah. Because you want to talk about strong female characters, and I got to tell you this too, the banter between her and K2SO, of course, oh. play, voiced, voiced <laughs> by Alan Tudyk, was some of the most funny for again for a dark movie. You know, people always talk about, and I've talked about, we've talked about. When you have dark films, you have to have a little bit of light in there, and their banter between one another was fantastic. Yeah, and, and dear Marvel, this is what happens when you try to do a more serious movie and you don't force the humor. You let it just happen on its own. They did perfectly what Doctor Strange didn't. Right, right. They they didn't, you know, overdo it. They didn't, you know, place it in there heavily and, and Jake crowbar it in there. It worked literally because you had mm-hmm. – because well, because unlike Doctor Strange, K2SO actually was a vessel for comedic relief. Like they yeah. actually built a vessel for comedic relief. And, I mean, just the surrounding cast, you know, you have Donnie Yen who – God damn, if you haven't seen the Ip Man movies, watch them because he is fucking wonderful in those movies. He was great uh, in this too, man. I mean, I loved that guy. Uh, you know, Wen Zhang was in this too and he was great. But I, I mean, everybody here served a purpose. And a lot – some people who are maybe dissenters and not really fans of the movie or, or as, as some of the people point out a flaw in the movie possibly is, well, these characters weren't really fleshed out enough. You didn't get much time. But the thing is – some people are saying, well, maybe you should have cut some characters out. But really, I think that this – you could have done that. But this movie was about not one particular person. This was about a group of people. This is about the people who got the Death Star That's plans. That's the point. That's the and point. To, you know, it's, it's about the, this group of renegades and, and you know people who come from all different walks of life coming together for a certain purpose. You know, I, I honestly think that this is as close to a Rogue Squadron movie as we're going to get too. Yeah, I think that this is the Rogue Squadron movie that we kind of wanted and didn't even know that that's what we were going to get. And there are so many moments, like the whole, the, when they literally say Rogue One, and they say, there is no Rogue One. And he says, well, there is now. And they take off. And it's like, all right, now we're going. Let's do this. And I think that, you know, this is kind of a group that, it was a ragtag group for sure. It was almost like as they were going along, you pick up strays, and then all of a sudden, here you are, and, and you're united, and you continue to be united in everything that happened on their way. Like when they went to go assassinate uh, Galen Erso, of course, played by Mads Mikkelsen, and he couldn't go through with it. In a way, in a very, very odd way, that's what drew Cassian out and let everybody know, hey, this is what I've been dealing with, and now I've changed my feelings on this because of this moment, and they start to bond over, ironically, that. So, it just, the movie, to me, it kept surprising me over and over and over again in ways I didn't expect. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you look at Jin's life, too, I think what makes Jin such, I think, a strong character, but also a tragic character at the same time, is this is a woman who from the time she was little has had the worst life ever because her whole life, she has never had a childhood. She's never, like all she knew was war and like her parents were murdered, you know, her mother was murdered in front of her and her father was murdered in front of her. (laughs) You know, like her parents were murdered in front of her 
And her whole life has been hiding and in prison, and you know she's we see her being taken to an empire camp. Yeah, and, stuff and you like want that. to talk about fear of abandonment? Let's throw that in there too, right? Right, right. Because I mean, Forrest Whitaker's character, you know, when he's you know he's in there, and she's like, "You abandoned me," you know. So this whole thing was her really her sense of not having a real family, and this this Rogue One crew. For the most part, as we see kind of towards the end, it's kind of her little, what she can scrape together of a family, really. And then that's what draws her out towards the middle of the movie as well. Everybody got drawn out in their own way. And I think that when she's like, when she saves a little girl. Oh, yeah. That was a big moment. And that's when Cassian went, wow, and, this isn't the person and, who I thought it was. And I want to point that out, too, is that this moment, this movie is filled with a lot of traumatic events. Like, yeah, she saves a little girl, but what do we see next? The city gets destroyed. So it's like, that's something I think Disney is starting to improve on as well uh, in terms of these types of stories. Is that they're like, they'll give you that glimpse of hope. Like, oh, she somebody saved somebody, especially of a younger age. But then you see this, you know, Death Star, you know, blow up the city, and you're like, oh, oh, damn, that girl's dead. Yep. Oh, everybody's dead. Oh, shit. Like, you know, they give you, they, they give you that little bit of hope, and they take it away, and sometimes it's to the point where you forget that that happened. You're like, okay, you know, that blew up, you know, and people are probably gone. I'm like, oh, no, they're fucking still there. And the, like, thing that I, and the thing that I pointed out to my wife after we got done seeing this, I was like, do you think that was the family for Donnie Wen's character? Do you think that was his family? Because he kept asking, is it gone? And and then, of course, Baze says, yep, all gone. They're all gone. I'm thinking, that that better not have been his little girl. I don't think it was. I think it was more because, remember, they were the keepers of the, the temple where they were holding all the crystals and stuff like that. So I think that he's like, are all the temples gone? You know, right. Well, all... make, me, make me feel better then and tell me that wasn't his little girl. That wasn't his little girl. That okay. was him saying – I think that was, this is what, the way I perceived it was him saying – Everything, you know, we were sworn to protect and spent our lives protecting, and now it's all gone. There's I feel nothing a little of, better now. There's, there's nothing of our history that is gone. Because remember, you know, when, when Cassian is with Jin, she's asking, like, well, who are those people? It's like, well, those are the people who, you know, were supposed to, yep. you know, used to guard the temple, and now they're just causing trouble for people. Yep. So it's like, you know, there's nothing left of what they were born to do and sworn to do and stuff like that. So, I feel better now, Okay, right. I'm glad you do. But uh, well, I mean, as far as, as as better as you can feel when the whole planet gets <laughs> right when mass people die, I feel better now you knowing know. that. <laughs> and he eventually dies anyway. So right, it's like but, I guess maybe for that particular moment, I feel a little bit better. You know, seeing how we're on the the topic of death, we're gonna get to a certain villains thing in a little bit too. But uh, I think for a movie that doesn't give a lot of the characters the depth that a lot of people probably would want, this is probably the first Star Wars movie where I really had to hold myself from crime just because of the deaths. And I think a lot of this comes from the dialogue because you have Donnie Yang walking out there, you know, I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me, I'm one with the Force. And then you just have him getting shot and Baze is holding him, he's reciting it. Mm. And I'm like, oh God, it's happening! You know, I took my mom to see this. I heard my mom next to me going, you know, kind of sniffing a little bit like, oh, God. <laughs> if my oh, mom God. cries, I'm crying. Oh, it's I'm over. done. <laughs> I'm fucking done, man. You know, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, I'm done with that shit. But, I mean, it's just one of those things where they made them. It seemed like even like K2SO, you know, he was a, a android and a robot. His death, you felt like. Oh, God. Yeah. And the way he just flatly says goodbye, it's like, yeah. oh, my God. Oh, my oh, God. It's so terrible. And that's the thing is that they made 
Well, I think that's what, what's great is these characters went out with meaning. They went out with a purpose. It wasn't like they were just there and just got killed. They were, if you notice, dude, mostly in the in the movie, they're like in the middle of doing their part of their mission and right. then they die. So it's like they mostly went out dying. Like uh, I can't think of the pilot's name, but he gets blown up in the ship after he communicates, yep. you know, and gets the, the telelink open. So it's yep. like everybody, it's like they serve their purpose and then they go. And that, like, I think added more thing like because these people went out as heroes you know these were like renegades and people who defected from the some people mm-hmm. defected from the empire and and it's like they've got their 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 hero moment everybody had their hero moment in this film yeah everybody was allowed to have their moment in the sun so even like you said the characters weren't necessarily fleshed out i don't think they needed to be fleshed out i think we got what we needed from these characters and we were allowed to see them evolve throughout the movie itself so i don't think they needed to give us this elaborate backstory on on all or a lot of these characters to make us care because i think that they did a very good job with that so you don't need to make this a three-hour movie so you can tell us everyone's backstory they gave us enough they showed how they came together as a group as their own like you said little suicide squad and it made you care about them individually i think they did a good job with it well i liked what they did was this is again credit to the writers and even the actors you know having to you know make this dialogue work as well these if you got you have to realize without this crew of like 11 or so people or 14 people or whomever how many people were there there would be no New Hope. There would be no Jedi or Empire. Right. right. These people were like, you know what? The rebellion says, oh, we're, you know, the leaders are like, well, we can't fight and we're going to lose. They said, fuck that. We're going to see this through and we're going to go forward with this. And that's the thing. It's like these a small group of people made a big difference within this whole franchise, within this whole universe. And moving from that to – I think visually it was beautiful. I think the 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 well. Let me let me go one more thing because I found some irony here that I'm that I think may have gotten lost in this. What? First of all, you had the trope of the villain monologuing when they're up there at the tower. It was it was Jin and uh, Orson Krennic, of course, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. Where she tells him, "Guess what? My dad put a failsafe in there. There's a fuse. Yada yada yada." Yeah. And then of course he dies on the planet when they get rid of it. Okay, right. so nobody knew except for Krennic, that that weakness existed. If he lives, think about what would have happened. He could have told the Empire, hey, this guy built this failsafe in here that could destroy the Death Star. We better fix it soon. It might have gotten fixed, and the Rebellion would have been screwed. Luke Skywalker would have been screwed. And what would have happened? Think about that. By killing him. Yeah. By killing him, they killed their own Empire, in a way. Yeah. Wow, That's I, weird. Dude, I didn't even think of that until you just said it. Holy shit. He was the only one that knew except for the rebels that except for the rebels. And because you he, just because it's a just because they had the plans doesn't mean they saw it in the plans. Of course, the Empire's gonna think it was built legit with no flaws because they were threatening his life. And they don't and the reason they needed him to build it's because they didn't know how to do it, so they wouldn't spot the flaw anyway. And if you think about it, I liked how they brought it full circle where She's like, listen, you son of a bitch, you killed my, you know, you, you took my dad, you killed my mother. Like now I'm going to just give you, the, like, I'm going to give you this knowing what's probably about to happen and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and, you know, again, going back to how beautiful I think it was too and shot, 
I think it's had some of the best dog fights I've seen in a Star Wars movie totally. in a while. Uh, especially, I, I turned my mom to the scene where they're like, exit, you know, go to hyperspace and everything else. And you see the Star Destroyer just pop up. And I'm like, oh, fuck. How about like, when they push the two Star Destroyers together <laughs> to kill the shield? I'm like, wow, that was smart. And the brutal. Innovation, but with that, I, I talked about it earlier, and I said, you know, there's something, there's a little bit of a thing that kind of, a couple of things in the movie, I'm like, does that really need to be there? First one being, I know it was only for like a shot. Did R2-D2 and C-3PO need to be in the movie? No. Not really. Not um, really. Uh, but Grand Moff Tarkin, uh, he, you know, of course, played by Peter Cushing. Now, here's the thing. Peter Cushing died in 1994, and so it's okay. We have this technology. We can recreate them as, as you know, as a, a hologram or you know, three D thing. And if they did it for like a little bit, like if he was kind of like one of those people where he'd make a, an appearance in a couple of scenes, that's one thing. But when you make him, I think the the you give him that much screen time, or instead, I say him more and you know, very loosely because it really wasn't him. It was a, an image of right, him. Right. Right. You see the flaws of the technology. You, you see, like, oh, that's just CG. And really, it's just like, I think it just loses some, some substance there. I think it just takes away some stuff. If he was just like this figure who, because Tarkin was the, really the only person who could tell Darth Vader to, you know, to sit, stand in his place, really. So you have this character, if you made him kind of like, Spire, you know, a little scarcer in this, a lot more scarce in this. I think it would add more to, to seeing that, really, um, and, and, and stuff like that. I think that you needed to put him in this movie, though. I'm not one of those people say, oh, you shouldn't put it, because, first of all, his estate, you know, wrote off on it, said, oh, we were fine with this, him yeah. being in the movie, his likeness. And because of what the story deals with, you do need to have him in there as well, because he plays such a vital role, I think, to Krennic as character as well and going forward in the actual larger part of the story he does as well right um so that's 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 only my my only you know small if you want to call it a nitpick call it a nitpick but what'd you think about that i actually think that they did a really good job with him i mean mean, if you want to talk about cg and and you know people not liking it this is almost as good as it gets i mean it's i mean i realize this is a human being we're talking about so, you know, it's not as elaborate as some of the monsters that have been created with CG and stuff like that. But, I mean, you look at this compared to, like, the CG that they did in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, where it was plain, plainly obvious that that's what they were doing. It's like, wow. I mean, you want to talk about realism from CG. I thought they brought it really, really well. I agree. Did he have to be in the movie as much as he was? Probably not. But... It was weird. It was almost like they did it to knock Krennic down a few pegs and make him think, okay, you thought you were important. You're really not as important as you think you are. But then it also made – it's almost like it gave him a drive to want to prove himself to his fellow members of the Empire. Like, okay, you don't think I matter? I'm going to show you that I matter. And I think it made, it made him more driven in the movie. I think that's kind of why they they had him in as much as they did. And with that, let's talk about, of course, I think somebody who a lot of people say kind of stole the show a little bit, especially at the end. That's Darth Vader. And just when you thought they couldn't make Darth Vader more of a badass, they give him so many badass moments, so many moments of dialogue in here, even though I shouldn't say so many because he was only in it for a couple of scenes. But they just – they found a way to 
expand on him and make him even more of a fucking badass, really, you know? Like, I'm not going to lie. I've never seen a group of people more fucked than the people in that hallway in the end. <laughs> and it's funny. You knew that from A New Hope anyway. Yeah. But what you didn't know was what was going on behind that door before they busted in it in A New Hope. So we finally got to see, oh, gee, I wonder what was happening behind there before he came, before Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers came through. Oh, what he was doing was basically mowing down about 50 guys on his way to the ship. That's what was going on. <laughs> he did it so effortlessly, too. Like, holy Not shit. that he shouldn't, because these are guys with blasters against... Right. A Sith Lord kind of thing in a by Jedi, way, so you get way, it, but... I like how in the movie, Disney said, you know what? The Stormtroopers, their accuracy is going to be on point. They're literally on point. Like, yeah, no more missing, a lot better. Yeah. No more missing Stormtroopers, but... No, I, I like how where this ends, too, and how it's really... Like, you can watch... Like, people talk about the prequels. Fuck the prequels. Start with Rogue One, and then work your way through. Literally. That, yeah, that is your prequel. To a new hope, it really is. That right. it will literally, it literally leads you to the door of a new hope. The, the, nothing you've never seen a prequel so effortlessly lead you right to the movie that you love more than this one. I don't think. And with that being said, let's give our ratings, and I'll have you go first. Ah, oh, man, you know, like you, I was, I was definitely worried about this movie because it's almost like, okay, what do you do? How do you take this material, stay true to it? And really give us a unique story for something that, like we said a million times, we both said this, we, you know how this ends. You know what happens. How do you make this work? And they actually, there were glimpses where you kind of think, maybe somebody's going to make it. Maybe it's going to be differently than I thought. And then they ripped that away from you. But what this did give you was hope. I hate to put that literally because it's pretty much the last word you hear in the movie from Princess Leia herself. But it gives you hope, not just that they did this movie right, but that they can do all these other movies right now, like the Han Solo movies and stuff like that, if there is a Boba Fett movie, to give us something that we didn't have before and make us love it all over again. And I think that this this movie did that. And it gives you such a greater appreciation for A New Hope, what the rebellion went through, and what almost happened. Like, literally, this almost didn't happen because of a couple of key moments in this movie and for something that had so much question so many question marks going in i can proudly say that i'm going to be giving this 10 kidnapped imperial droids out of 10 i love that this movie as i mentioned earlier it was shot like a war film we got the trench warfare in there it had a lot of different feelings to where you go from a movie like Rogue One and you go watch A New Hope right after it, you get a nice sense of that they're not the same type of film. You know, and I like that how they how they ended it. I like that they ended it literally leading up to the opening of A New Hope. And I think that's really what you're looking for, especially in I'm gonna call it a prequel. In a prequel film. And I liked I think everybody had their purpose from Forrest Whitaker on down, you know, and, and all all the Everybody was part of Rogue One. Everybody had a purpose. Everybody had meaning. There wasn't a point where somebody died in this where I'm like, okay, they're just doing this just to get an emotion out of somebody. And I, and I want to highlight something you just said. There were a couple of points, not a lot, but enough points to where you're like, you know, I think maybe one or two can make it off this planet. 
I think one maybe can do it. You know, two might be, a, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit. But I think somebody is going to find a way to get, like, teleported up or, or maybe the last second and they're going to get through that shield, you know, or the shield's going to reopen and stuff like that. Who knows? But you just see that and you see everything else that happens in it. And you're just like, wow, that happened. And that, and I, I've never seen a Star Wars film and, and, I, and I'm such a bleak and, and, and really – note like that to where you see this whole world blow up and everything else i like that everybody had meaning uh i think that you know i liked how this wasn't too uh, too didn't have too many similarities with the regular four five and, and on i gotta give this 10 out of 10 hugs in the sun wow i can't remember the last time we had a double 10 out of 10 i Except don't know for maybe deadpool I think maybe maybe it was a TV show. I don't know. I I had to go back and look at the list to our you know earlier shows. But this is why people need to just go back and listen. Right, but I mean overall, dude, it was just a fun film. Now I gotta say this: how much pressure is on the Han Solo so solo film? I should say. I, I think the pressure's squarely on Episode Eight now, actually, yeah. because that's that's the next one in line, and not that it falls in line with Rogue One. But now, like you said, there was a lot of people like yourself that didn't like Force Awakens, and now Rogue One was so good, now you're going, oh, so they can make a good one if you didn't like The Force Awakens. So now you look at Episode Eight and go, uh, guys, what are you going to do? Because now look what you have to follow. Right, exactly. And that's going to do it for our review of Rogue One and Star Wars Story Become Next. We're going to take a look at the life and career of Carrie Fisher. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, we know that she'd probably call us scruffy-headed nerf herders for making such a fuss, but we're sorry, Carrie. We have to talk about your life and your career because, man, it was a good one. Yeah, I mean, she was not just an actress who appeared in 90 different things. She also... Wrote 11 projects. She did a lot of cool script punch-up things. I mean, there's a picture going around now of her notes for Star Wars. And that's just... It's so cool, too. It's so cool because the thing is, you know, if you're somebody who lived in the 70s, you know, and literally grew up with Star Wars, a lot of people were like, oh, well, she's a beautiful actress. But then you see, you know... She was also very, very smart and caring and loving and just – she knew the the industry inside and out. I mean her mother was, was Debbie Reynolds. Her father was a crooner and a you know, singer. And so she grew up in this entertainment industry. So you just see all the things she's written. I mean she's done – I believe like, like Punch-Up or some script supervising for like Sister Act and, and all these other popular movies. But she wasn't just an actress, man. She wasn't just Princess Leia. She was an advocate to bring awareness to drug abuse and mental, mental health, health issues. Yeah, and, and I mean, she she was a torchbearer, and she did a lot. And I think she helped erase, I think, the stigma that comes with things like addiction. And she was very open with her life, and she was very open with her addictions and stuff like that and, and her downfalls in life, you know, and 
I think that that helped a lot of people. But I mean, think about it this way. She was also an advocate for women, not just in the industry, but in general. I mean, just recently when she told Daisy Ridley, uh, don't be a slave like I was. Yeah. She talked about the, you know, the gold bikini and stuff like that. And basically how she wanted to kill the guy that made it, but it did make her work out. She said, so I guess (laughs) she said it did kind of work out in a way. And think about it back in 1977, you could probably count on one hand, the number of women that were allowed to be strong and independent. And she took it to the nth degree, man. Not only was she strong and independent as Leia Organa, Princess Leia, but she was the figurehead. She was the leader and the unapologetic, strong driving force behind a lot of the reason that they got as far as they did. And she was allowed to wear that so well, not only to do that, but like you said, make changes to her character's dialogue. Like, she shouldn't be doing this. She should be doing this because she was not just a princess. She was a general. Right. She was a leader. And how many women in film and you're, I mean, you're the film guy. How many women in film back in the seventies were allowed to to do that? You know, it was, you know, the strong woman thing wasn't necessarily prevalent in the late seventies. I mean, it wasn't until very much into the star Wars saga that you started to see that more and into the eighties and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's just amazing that she, that she was allowed to do that. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, neither one of us knows what it's like to be a young woman. But I think that's one of the reasons why she was such a strong role model for young women. Because in, not just in those times, but even now, young girls see a character like that and they say, that's who I want to be. And then you find out who she was in life and you want to be her even more. And the thing is, you, know, you mentioned the whole strong women thing, and, and, and that's what Leia was. That's what Carrie Fisher was. And, you know, the thing is, is of all the, the my favorite Star Wars characters, Leia is, I, is like my second favorite because – and she's my second favorite. But also, if you think about it, throughout the entire Star Wars run, no character has evolved more than Princess Leia throughout the years, throughout the movies. You go watch her from A New Hope where she was a princess, and she wasn't really a damsel in distress either. She held her own. Right. But you see her in Empire when she when she finds out that Lando turned on her, her and, and everybody else and, and double-crossed him, and she has Chewie go after him, and just her dialogue there was like, oh, shit, she is a strong woman who will, you know, not be afraid to fuck you up. And she was also had that those moments of she's a strong female character, but also she was very compassionate as a character, you know, and, and especially with scenes with her and Han and just, you yeah. got that. She felt very authentic and, you know, and just her career in general was just a wonderful, beautiful thing. And if you have a chance, go on HBO and her one woman show, wishful drinking is up there. It's about an hour, 30 hour, 45 minutes it's wonderful. It talks about her entire life, her family upbringing, and just different things. And and it's just, just to have this woman who struggled with a lot, but also through the addiction, through the bipolar and mental health issues, continued to fight through that and reach new heights and just do wonderful things just shows the strength of her character and shows why she's such an impactful woman and person and someone who's never going to be forgotten because, you know, it's just one of, it's just one of those things, man, where 
her the the women she were on she was on screen were strong and just who she was was strong even though she had demons she found a way to fight through all that you know yeah and i think that comes with the era too that that she had her demons i mean i think you could say that about a lot of actors and actresses in in the 70s and early 80s and stuff like that so i mean it's not necessarily surprising but the way she fought through that and wasn't afraid to talk about it see that's that's where it brings strength when you do have those demons but you're not afraid to talk about it let people know hey this is what happened to me this doesn't necessarily need to happen to right. you. And you want to, I want to go back to the whole, when you were talking about certain scenes that you remembered of hers, one thing that I remember was when she's being interrogated by Darth Vader in A New Hope. Yeah. And, I mean, how many, not just women, but men, would buckle under that but, pressure, and she basically just gives him the middle finger the entire time, even when that little droid comes in. Right. It's like, it's going to shoot her and torture her. She's like, no, how about screw you? I'm not telling you anything. That, to me, always stood out. Dude, she was stronger than Luke. Because remember, Luke had that moment where he's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to quit. She's right. like, get your bitch ass up. You're going right, to exactly. fucking fight. Like, that's the thing about Leia, man. Leia was all about the rebellion. From the moment she she got you know was born you know all this stuff she was all about the rebellion. So there were like man male characters when they were around Leia and they're like oh I don't know if I can believe this rebellion. They were having doubts. Leia's like, boy, pick your punk ass up. We're gonna fucking defeat this empire. Exactly. You know? And I mean, it's just it's such a shame because she was on the book tour for the Princess Diarist when she passed away, which was, you know, her, you know, her time working on the star Wars movies and her experiences and stuff like that. And the book sold out everywhere. Now Amazon, you can't buy it anywhere right now, but I mean, you get to kind of see the person that she really was in her writing. And I mean, who better to tell someone's story than that person. It's just such a shame that, cause you kind of felt that another one of those wishful drinking things was going to come out of this, that she was going to have like a princess diarist special or something like that and talk right. about it in more detail. You, you kind of felt like that was happening. So it's a shame that we're not going to get that, but we get so many, not just princess Leia moments, Carrie Fisher moments as well. I mean, people forget she was in the burbs. She yep. was in when Harry met Sally and she was so great in so many things. I mean, there was, I know you hate it, but the episode of the big bang theory that she was in, where they, uh, where James Earl Jones does the ding dong ditch thing at her house, and she comes out and says it's not funny anymore, and she's all mad and stuff like that. Even that small moment was just so hilarious. She did so many great things, and it also shows female actresses that you don't have to be this one thing. She never shied right. away from it too. That's one thing about. This particular cast, they never really shied away from, you know, I was Luke Skywalker. I was Princess Leia. She she was a flag bearer for that. But she also said, you can be this and still do other things. If anything else, this might allow you to do other things. She had a a couple of lines in her wishful drinking show that really not only made me laugh, but made me go like, true. She was talking about the, the metal bikini she wore in Jedi. And she was talking about, she goes, now I've put on some weight. And she goes, but the one thing I didn't know was that when I wore that bikini back in the, you know, when Jedi was being shot, that I wrote and signed an invisible contract saying I had to be the same fucking way for the next 40 <laughs> goddamn years. You know, like, it, it's stuff like that. And then she points yeah. out a couple of other things. It's just wonderful. And just, like, she talked about how, you know, George Lucas owns her likeness. And she's like, that man owns my likeness. She goes, I was this, I was this. And then the crown jewel, I was a Pez dispenser. And she goes, (laughs) if somebody comes to you and asks if you want to be a Pez dispenser, 
Do it! It's the best decision you will make in your life. <laughs> I want to be a Pez dispenser. Even before hearing that, who wouldn't want to be a Pez dispenser? But I mean, it's just like she's talking about her mother and her father, like how her father like, left her mother for Liz Taylor and all those other things. Like she was just her her show is so great because it's so open. She's so honest with a lot of things too, you know and. That was and, the thing about her, I think, was her honesty. And oh, the, God, the, yeah. The don't be afraid to A, be yourself, and B, be honest with people. Because well, I think she, that that's something that's lacking in society in general. Mm-hmm. But she embodied that for so many years. Well, she, I think that get, gets lost in all this conversation. Well, she was also one of the people where, you know, in, not just in Hollywood, but just in life, people are afraid to get old. They don't want to get old. And Carrie Fisher, you know, said, you know, she's like, getting old was literally one of the best things that could happen to me. And, you know, she showed it. She did so many distinguished things as she's gotten older. And, you know, and just not saying she did, didn't do so in the beginning of her life. But, I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, you know, when, when somebody gets older and they just continue to do these great things. And then you just – there's those things, like, I'm learning about her now uh, that I'm just, like, I didn't know about her. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. And it's sad that a lot of these things come out when, of course, she passes. And that happens – a lot of these things happen when people pass away. But it's just it's just one of those things where you know it, it sucks that she's gone because you know sixty nowadays that's young man you know like yeah very you, young you know you think like okay you know eighty is like really if you think about really like eighty is like the new old age you know what I'm saying like hey, I but think it's, it's just, right around there sure yeah but but it's just like uh, man it sucks and and the thing that I, I talked about I, I told you about this off air you know we, we just we, we just Reviewed Rogue One. At the end, you see younger 19-year-old CG Carrie Fisher. I really hope, and, and you know, she filmed all her stuff for Episode 8. I really hope once Episode 9 rolls around, they don't CGI Don't her do movie. it. Don't do it. I mean, I know that there's going to be a, a significant amount of time between the two movies. I get that. Don't do it. It's not worth it. You, don't, can have, you don't have to kill her either, unless that happens in episode eight you, anyway. Oh, she, could, she could die in that movie. Oh, can you imagine how hard that's going to be if she dies in episode eight? And you can't edit that out. If she no. does, it is what it is. But yeah, she could unless, die. Unless, like, at the beginning of episode nine, people say, oh, you can't just write out. Yeah, you can, because if I, like, the way you could do it is. If you want like a funeral scene in like the beginning or or something like that or whatever of episode nine, it, it, do it that way. Get, if you want to give her that type of a send off, by all means. But I mean, just don't don't be like, well, we don't, don't be Disney and be like, we own her likeness, we own this. Let's put her in the movie because that's what people want. No, or no, that, that's just it's and to me it's different than putting you know Peter Cushing in the movie because. In Rogue One, because again, as we talked about in our review, his character is tied to the fourth movie, so he has to be in there to some extent. Episode nine, she's not tethered to that. You know, she's not tethered. After eight, she's no longer tethered to the franchise. Right. Exactly. So, so, so if you want to have like a, a, a opening with a funeral scene, I think that actually be a, a you know a very, of course, somber way of, of, of yeah. waving by. And do you need and do you need to do that? I mean, I guess it depends on how it. Goes. No, you don't. I'm just saying. No, you don't. I'm just. But saying, but if you're going to, yeah, I agree with that. If you're going to, yes, I'm not saying you have to, but you at least have to make some sort of gesture as to why she's not in the movie. You know, not just totally. you can't because thing is like everybody knows she died, but 
in that universe, it's like you can't just say you just ignore Leia's not there, you know? Especially uh, if in eight she plays the pivotal role with, you know, Kylo Ren and stuff like that. We don't know don't how know that so. dynamic's going to go after the way Force Awakens ended. So, it, you know, maybe that should, maybe losing Han's too much for her, and maybe that does right. kill her in the movie, a la, you know, it's, you know, imitating real life with De- Debbie Reynolds loses right. her daughter, and the pain of that was just too much, and she passes after that. Right. And I think that, you know, you look at Debbie Reynolds and just the career she's having. She was just amazing in her career. She's done a lot of stuff. But one thing she did, too, was she preserved a lot of wardrobes and a lot of, of costumes from that era that would have been lost. And she preserved them. She yep. kept them. Like, it was just amazing the stuff she did for, you know, that, that era of Hollywood. And just to, to lose Carrie, it has had to be just – I can't imagine. I, I, I'm not going to imagine. I'm not going to say, oh, it had to be tough because it's like, of course it was tough. And and the thing is, is, you know, it, I've never lost a child, never had a child. I just can't imagine. I'm not. You I, know, I can tell you right now, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. I, and, I can't even utter it out loud. It's yeah. Just... It's, it's, yeah. But I, I think that you, when you look at Carrie Fisher's life and just, again, all the things that she's done for people of different walks, she she was wonderful. She was absolutely wonderful. And I'm probably going to go watch Wishful Drinking again. It's on HBO. So if you have HBO now or HBO Go, go watch it because it's literally – it's so goddamn funny. And it's, The Princess Diarist, if once it's available, oh, go gee. read it, man, because this was the literally the last thing she was doing when she passed. That's what she was doing in England when she was promoting that. So, I mean, I think that, you know, Carrie's always going to live on and people forget that she was Princess Leia. Carrie as Princess Leia was like the first love for a lot of young men right. in their life. You know, you know, everybody has their crush from TV and movies and stuff like that. And as you know, as childish as that can be, it's, it's also, it can be a real emotion. Nostalgia is a real thing. And I think that that is also an honor that's bestowed on her you know, is that she was the first love of, of, of a lot of of a lot of young men, and people are going to miss her right, and hold a different place for her in that regard. And yeah, Carrie Fisher was a real person, but she made Leia so real. I think that that's what's getting lost in all this. I mean, people are getting upset about it, but she made that character so real and so, you know, in the forefront of people's minds that I think that that's a testament to what she was able to do with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with people feeling that way. I hear you, man. I mean, it was, a, it was a huge loss, not just in nerd culture and in the nerd world, but I think just in the world in general. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hey, if you want to hit us up on social media, feel free. We're on Facebook.com slash Down Nerdy. We have some Carrie Fisher posts that are up there as well. There's posts of fans, Star Wars fans outside of movie theaters hoisting up lightsabers in honor of her, which is really spectacular and beautiful. And uh, so they're pictures of people and, and, and with Carrie Fisher and it's just really, really wonderful just the love and the support that people have been giving the family after these this tumultuous week. Um, we're also on Twitter as well. You can find us posts on Twitter as well at down nerdy seven five seven. I've posted some stuff as well about Carrie Fisher at Merc with one arm on both Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, there was actually I, I flew in to Virginia this week. I was in New York for the holidays. And there was a billboard on my way to the airport, and it just had a picture of Carrie Fisher as Leia, and it said, you know, had her name and her year, and uh, just, you know, may the force be with you. And it's just, I mean, 
wow. Like in just a random part of New York, I see that. And it's just, it, it, it just shows how important she was. And again, you can Definitely. find me, you can find me in those spots on social media. James, where can I find you? At James Ace Witham on Twitter. That's W I T H A M. You can always follow along with us on our website as well, down in nerdypodcast.com. And as always, passive comp greeting, always bagging board your comics. And to Carrie Fisher, thank you very much for everything you've done, for not only for for us in, in, in nerd culture, but just for everyone in general. May the force always be with you and with your family.